0: Although we attended more trade fairs at the beginning of our journey, and a lot of that I guess was about just trying to build brand awareness and get ourselves on the map. They weren't necessarily um, cost effective in sense of getting a return on them. Um, Mm. But the trade fairs that we've attended post pandemic and a couple pre the pandemic, have been about the groundwork that you do building up to the trade fair. So it's not just a case of registering to attend, it's also about the preparation and connecting with people, setting up appointments uh, before you even leave your own destination.
1: Right, so I've got Ruth Franklin sitting with me. Hi, Ruth.
0: Hi there, Matt. How are you doing?
1: I'm excited as hell that you are the first person to come on the tour Tourpreneur multi-day podcast.
0: And I'm very excited that I'm the first person to sit in the hot seat.
1: Wonderful. Let's. If we if we have a good conversation, then maybe I'll convince someone be able to convince someone else to come onto the show as well. But uh, <laughs> just to jump in, just to jump into things, um, obviously Ruth is quite prominent member of our industry, but I'll give everyone a quick overview for those who are not familiar with Ruth, co-founder of Secret Paradise. Um, And actually, this leads to probably, before I even continue with the intro, Ruth, you have to answer a question for me that you have probably answered 10,000 times before. Can you guess what the the question is?
0: Oh my gosh, how did I end up here? Where am I?
1: Is it the Maldives or is it the Maldives? Um, Maldives. Oh, shit, I didn't even get... Both of my options were wrong. It's the the Maldives. Correct. The Maldives. All right. So Ruth is from Secret Paradise in the Maldives, uh, a tour company uh, that I'm a huge fan of. They do uh, a real... They have a real focus on community-based tourism with an educational and sustainable angle. So the Maldives is obviously quite famous for resorts sitting on top of the water. But the Maldives is actually much more than that and has a really interesting culture, heritage, cuisine. And that is what Ruth has been living for the last 10 years, ensuring that people can get access to the culture and heritage of the Maldives. Maldives, oh my God. As well as really um, having developed a passion for sustainability as well. She's working um, with the local community to help protect the ocean and marine life. How does that sound as an intro, Ruth's?
0: That's not bad going.
1: Wow, far out. Let's see if I can raise the enthusiasm levels a little bit later. All right, Ruth, how did we? How did we meet each other?
0: Through Tourism Tiger. That's right. So I can't remember if Kelsey Toner con- connected me with you, or it was the other way around. But right. you two guys were the connections right back at the beginning.
1: Right. Yeah. So when i was still running uh, tourism tiger full time and obviously for anyone who's listening tourism tiger is a web design agency 100% specialized in tour and activity operators ruth reached out to me to get a website built i think you were one of the first 10 people who reached out uh, just as when we were getting started and uh, that been... has yeah you've been through yeah. one rebuild you've been through one rebuild and it's a beautiful website secret paradise uh, mv, um, But, uh, yeah, how has the website gone for you?
0: It's been very successful, and I think for us in terms of it's a lot about um, education and information because what we do is a very different aspect to people's perception of the Maldives, so it's very important that There's a lot of background information on there but from a selling point of view um, it's also proved very successful and certainly post-pandemic we've seen a a growth in our online bookings um, and pre-pandemic so that's always a positive
1: yeah wonderful um that's great so don't worry i'm not if you're listening to the podcast i don't plan on turning this into a 45 minute plug for tourism tiger The topic for today is going to be how Ruth developed her B2B um, side of the business. But before we do, it's episode one. We need to get through some definitions. Ruth, what is B2B?
0: B2B is business to business. So you're a business, you're a tour operator, and you are connecting with another business who is selling tours and travel.
1: And uh, what's a DMC?
0: This is a really good one because right back at the beginning, I had no idea what a DMC was. I had to go away and Google it. So it's a destination management company. And so that would be an in-destination company who are operators and providing local knowledge and services to the businesses worldwide, be they tour operators, travel agents, who are selling travel in those destinations or who want to operate their own products in that destination.
1: Wonderful, and one lucky one lucky last for the the walking human dictionary of uh, tour and activity operator terms, OTAs.
0: Oh, online travel agencies. So where you put your own products up onto the web, and it's sold with a commission. Somebody such as Via Tour, which obviously is the, probably the most popular and well known
1: brand. Awesome. So Ruth. Your business, did you start out selling directly to consumers or as a B2B? What was your, what was your first sales channel?
0: Okay. So I came into tourism from a retail background, so I had no understanding of tourism and travel other than having been, um, a guest myself in destinations. So all of this was very much new. So, um, we started, um, with a, with a two pronged attack. So we started as a B2B business. Um, so utilizing a website and pre-tourism tiger and also putting uh products on um, tripadvisor via tour at that time but we also looked at how we were going to go down a b2b point of view and for me i guess i started looking at who i traveled with Um, who was operating in the Maldives or who wasn't as the case was because it was such a new part of the industry when we started local island tourism was really in its infancy so I looked at operators in Asia in other destinations who were operating tours in those destinations who were the names that I was familiar with who were the names that I wasn't familiar with and made a wish list of 10 operators that I wanted to work with so that we would partner with them. So that's really how it all started. Didn't have a strategic approach at all, um, but knew that we needed as a new business to perhaps focus on both areas in order to gain the best rate of return.
1: Awesome. So you've actually, uh, you've actually probably talked yourself down a little bit there by saying you didn't have much of a strategy. Um, You just reminded me of a book by um, Chet Holmes. It's actually one of the most famous um, sales books. Ever written. It's called the Ultimate Sales Machine, and one of the things he he actually uh, nominates in that book as a strategy is to pick your one hundred uh, dream clients in order to sell to. So um, you've picked ten to start with, which I think is a wonderful way to go about things. Because if you're just starting out, you don't even know what um, your ideal customer even necessarily looks like, Alright? So Ruth, you've uh, you, you figured it out yourself. You don't even you can you don't need to rig these books, Ruth. You could write these books. <laughs> oh, sure um, it may. Okay. And maybe there will be a book someday. Okay, so uh, like I said, though, the, the topic of the of this episode um, is B2B. So we won't talk too much about the B2C stuff today. That's pretty well covered um, or will be covered, uh, I should say, in many of our future episodes with other guests. The reason, Ruth, specifically, I wanted to talk to you today is I've been interacting with you for a very long time, uh, on and off, for what, about six or seven years. One thing, one thing I've noticed is uh, just how well you've got your processes buttoned down, and how methodical you are at, at, at going about things in your business compared to most tour and activity operators that I've uh, interacted with. So, what we're going to be doing in this in this episode is talking to you about. Obviously, I think we'll start with just by learning how you went with those ten initial operators you contacted, and then we'll just delve into the lessons that that that, that came out from there. Uh, We'll be talking in this episode about uh, trade shows and LinkedIn and destination representation, something, something, companies. Ruth will give us the official name later for those. And this is going to be a great um, chat. So, Ruth, is that really where you got started? You started with the the list of 10, and then what happened?
0: So, I having come from a retail background, I was familiar with sops and health and safety and all of that aspect and i guess coming from a uk market i was also aware that um people operating out of uk and europe in particular um also ensured that they had this type of information and procedures and policies in place so part of our starting process was about ensuring that we had a standard operating practice that we had a guide handbook that we had, health and safety manuals, risk assessments for the two tours that we were launching with um, and that necessary operating licenses for the destination and uh, public liability insurance. So for me, that was the foundation of everything else that we were going to do. And also documents that we still work with today and as we have grown and as we have learnt. We have changed and updated um, those documents accordingly. But if you start a conversation with a um, business who perhaps you want to act as the operator in country, but they're going to sell the product under their brand, they will certainly be the documents that they're looking to ensure their partner has in place. So if you haven't got them in place, now's the time to get them in place before you start channeling your energy into making the connections. And then secondly, it was about having some form of pitch deck so that you could easily share that um, through an online connection or send it out with an email. And it's something that I now use when I go to um, trade fairs, but something that's quite succinct. It isn't lots and lots of pages, but gives an understanding of your business, your brand, your values, your products, and your services. And so in a... In a nutshell, what can you provide to that prospective partner? So 10 years ago, I just did cold calling emails at that stage of the game.
1: Wow. And I love this, I love this perspective. Actually, I love this perspective. We've got, we, you've got this, but you've got this from day one, you've come into the mentality, come into this game with the mentality of how do I make it as easy as possible for the potential client to say yes.
0: I guess so, because I think when you consider a consumer and more so now post pandemic, they want to know what procedures are in place, what safety procedures, particularly in the the last um, two years, probably beginning to trail off now, but you will have those clients who want to dot all the I's, cross all the T's and will ask questions about what are you, what have you got in place? Are you registered? Do you have insurance? Um, right. So for me, it was about ensuring that they were in place right at the beginning, because if I didn't, then there were perhaps potential opportunities that I would miss along the way, because I'd have to backtrack to get documents in place and miss perhaps the timing and opportunity to work with somebody.
1: Great. So um, we're going to be going into a lot of detail on all this sort of stuff. Don't Don't be afraid, dear listener. Um, we're going to be poking at every every single last detail, so you can walk away with all the information you need. So the first question I know that a lot of people will have will be risk assessments. Many tour activity operators have not probably even heard of this as a thing. And maybe have not never been requested this as b- before. Uh, do you have any tips for someone to go about developing their first risk assessment? Yep,
0: think about it in terms of through the client's eyes as opposed to through your necessarily operational eyes. And as a client, what are they going to be asking you? So consider the various aspects of your tour from start to finish and what is involved. So is there transport? Is there a water activity? Is there a motorized activity? Does weather, does um, the uh, geographical location and do all of those have an impact or could have an impact on your particular tour and then rate them as uh, red, which would be um, high risk, amber, and then green, which would be low risk. And think about how you can minimise the risk. So what actions can you take as an operator to minimise that risk? So that could be about having your guides conduct checks. It could be about completing an audit. It could be about having contacts in particular places so that um, you can check back for weather conditions ocean conditions etc so i would say from a starting point view it through the eyes of a client secondly keep it simple don't make it into a, a document that's going to just gather dust on the shelf it has to be a working document and get your guides involved because they are the people that are on the job they're out in the field They'll have an understanding of perhaps some of the obstacles and challenges that they face that could also be seen as potential risks from a client's point of view.
1: Have you ever found any good examples from the internet uh, in the sense of are there any resources you could recommend for someone who's actually interested in exploring risk assessments? Is it something that people do by themselves or is it something to do with professional health?
0: Um, something you can do by yourself. Again, for me, it came because we had to have them in my retail environment. But if with a lot of things, with a lot of policies, if you just type into Google the policy that you're looking for, you will get a ton of examples. So I would perhaps tap in something along the lines of um, tour guide risk assessment, travel and tourism risk assessment and see what pops up. But for sure, when you're working with a, a brand name, that's something that they also share with you. So for us, as time went on and we started working with operators, we were able to ensure that we were covering the risk requirements and assessments that were um, asked of us by particular operators. And it does yeah, vary really- from business to business.
1: Nice. That's actually a really good example of um, of how you can get a resource. You can You can just talk to your partner and say, hey... I'm still working on mine. Do you have any uh, examples of great ones that you've seen before that I can have a look at and maybe get inspired by? Yeah, for sure. So easy. So easy. Um, okay, so uh, before we move on, there's another big question that I know that people were screaming down their headphones, and that is, do you have a recommended public liability insurance provider? Uh,
0: not from an international point of view. We use a uh, locally-based um, insurance provider so I can't help on that one I'm afraid
1: <laughs> There we go, it's probably the first time I've heard, ever heard you say no to to helping because <laughs> you physically can't <laughs> um, Yeah, that's wonderful So, uh, and it just occurs to me actually that if someone is thinking you doing a risk assessment um, I know that Peter Simon is listening to me right now uh, speaking through my microphone and saying Matt, if you don't mention Jack, chat GPT-3 as a, a potential way to get suggestions on your risk assessment i'll murder you so peter don't murder me the suggestion is now made you can also probably um avoid well use that as a compliment to google in your searching so Bruce, let's go back to the story i want to know what happened you set this amazing foundation a very professional uh foundation before you even started going out to talk to potential operators what happened next
0: so i sent out cold call emails to businesses, or I went through their contact on the website, which isn't necessarily the right approach because it's generally the product managers that are going to be sourcing the tours. But for me, it was a start to um, look into um, if we could make a connection or would they point me in the right direction of the um, appropriate person. And I would do it quite differently now based on what I've learned Um, But I think what you have to remember, you are reaching out to a company, but you're reaching out to people within that company. So exactly as you would engage with a um, direct client, you want to um, give them a vision. You want to um, get them infused about your product and your destination. So it has to be um, an interactive conversation that isn't necessarily a sales pitch, but is more about setting the scene of, what they can do, why you are different, um, and why they should work with you.
1: Right. So um, you you pl- and then
0: from, sorry. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah we, we've we got a one second internet delay, but it's okay, it'll, it'll get edited out. So um, I was gonna say, uh, you have learned a lot. You just, so I'm gonna start again. So Ruth, obviously you've learned a lot of lessons over that time, right? So if you could go back to your 10 year younger self and let her know all the lessons you've learned, How would you go about it? What is the best way to go about approaching a potential partner?
0: I have seen in the last four years, great success through using the LinkedIn platform. And whilst pre the pandemic, I was registered on there. I had my own page. I had a business page. I wasn't using it um, effectively more fully, I guess. And so in the pandemic, I really got to grips with LinkedIn in the sense of ensuring all the um, information um, was correct and up to date and started uh, posting relevant information. And at that time, I think we were one of the few businesses in the Maldives that was um, actually communicating about what was happening, what the requirements were, and how we could then um, start to travel because the Maldives was fortunately the first destination to reopen post pandemic so used it as a communicating tool not just for our um consumer guest client and guests but also for the b2b side so it may not necessarily have been about talking direct to partners that we had but also engaging with the travel industry as a whole to keep them abreast of what was happening in the Maldives and then in yeah nice of- and then in terms of building business connections i would um comment on relevant um posts i would um start to look at who else was on the platform again referring to a new listener that i had of um, operators that perhaps i thought that we were suitable and um, for them to work with um and not again, not using as a hard sell. So I would then reach out to individuals, um, to link with them and connect and just put a hi. read your article recently found that really useful again, engaging in a conversation to build a relationship with which may have been over a few weeks before I put in, if you're ever thinking of adding the Maldives to your portfolio of tools, then drop me a line. Um, so it's about. Um, establishing yourself in the platform as um, an expert in your field. So for me, it was Maldives and sustainability and ensuring that the posts I was seeing from others in my feed replicated my level of interest. Um, But also LinkedIn's a a great platform to learn from. You mentioned earlier about um, chat GPT and AI, and there's an awful lot of that uh, being discussed on LinkedIn as well. So it's not necessarily just about a connecting to, uh, connecting to people you want to work with or people that you want to uh, partner, but also from a, a learning point of view as well.
1: Right. Uh, this is, this is fascinating. Definitely. Um, definitely wasn't expecting to hear that LinkedIn would be such a big source of business for you. So, um, are you happy to quantify that a little bit? So, yep. since you really engaged with LinkedIn, how how much new business have you driven?
0: So, um, when we started operating the tours with the partners we'd connected with during the pandemic, so that was um 2022. Um, we've done t- over two hundred and fifty thousand in revenue from wow. uh, five businesses that we connected with, um, and others that we're still in conversation with. So definitely it was a a worthwhile investment because it was during a period of time where there was no revenue stream. So anything was going to be um, a bonus. Um, And definitely for for us, from a sustainability point of view, the conversation post-pandemic has obviously turned to sustainability, responsibility, uh, whichever buzzwords that you want to use, which they weren't when we started off 10 years ago. And we so,
1: that's so it. sorry. So um two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, uh I have to jump in and 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 this a little bit. So um in your experience though, so these are these are new operators that you've signed up, they've sent you over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in business. In your in your past experience with previous partners, how many of them will come back the next year and bring in another and uh, bring another group or two or three or four?
0: So all of those businesses are long term agreements. So unless wow. we were to do something really sinister and bad and we had a really, really bad experience, then um that would be repeat business for us.
1: Wow. So so just to make this absolutely crystal clear for anyone who is half focusing on this conversation, what you're saying is effectively, even if you were effectively to stop using LinkedIn today, these two hundred and fifty thousand dollars you've already generated in from your partners is not just going to be $250,000. We're talking about the potential for multi-million dollar revenue stream over the next 10 years.
0: Yeah, sure. And in some cases, some of those partners are um, an FIT, so they're tailor-made. So we may only get um, two packs here and there. But there are partners there that are group travel partners, and we will operate um, six to eight trips for them over the course of 12 months, which in turn could increase in terms of the number of departures or the number of clients that are on each departure. So yes, there is a potential growth out of that revenue stream.
1: Right, so we have to do a bit of a uh, a pause on terminology there. Two packs, that's referring to two people Um, for those people, to say people Googling it. FITs means effectively just consumers. Um, Is that the best way to define it?
0: Yeah, fully independent travel. So they're not traveling. Um, with a, a company or a guide and,
1: and or a group. Cool. So you've mentioned connecting with people on LinkedIn. Uh, you also mentioned that typically the people who are managing this kind of thing are product managers at, uh, yeah. at larger. Yeah. So is that, is that the kind of person who you're looking to connect with?
0: Um, product managers and maybe CEOs, people who have started similar businesses, um, I think the more people that you connect with within a particular um, field will give you source to other contacts because then you get seen by their contacts and their contacts' contacts. So it's sort of an ever-increasing contact list. And then you can choose to connect who you want to actually get um, into a conversation with. So are they the right person for you? So you might speak to the CEO or the general manager, but they may not necessarily be the right person who's making the decisions at a destination product level. And that is either they will pass you on to that person or you then need to go and search. And LinkedIn has um, various paid channel mechanisms where you can search for people by um their job description by the type of business not something that i have used everything that i've achieved has been through um organic um search well, and connections and and utilizing the platform
1: but if there's anything i know about you you uh would never use a a shotgun approach or a scattergun approach you were relatively precise and targeted in how you went about it so how do you determine not just the the job title we've already discussed that what other factors are there that you look at when you're trying to figure out what kind of businesses you want to connect with?
0: I look at um, what their values are. So do they share the same values as ourselves? What type of tours are they operating? So because we're based on local islands, we wouldn't necessarily go after somebody who's in the luxury market. Are we the same. Are, are we um, getting a similar type of audience or customer base? So that could be with regard to uh, demographics. It could be with regard to age. It could be about the type of travel that they're looking for. So again, looking at, um, I guess it's a little bit like doing going for a um, a job interview. You wouldn't turn up at a job interview not having done your research with regard to the company that's going to be interviewing you. So the same process that you want to get to understand that business, where it sits, and then where your um, synergies lie so that you can really put yourself forward as a suitable candidate um, to work with them or to um, operate on their behalf.
1: But you're not really looking at a hard sell here. Uh, the, to give you a counter example, we have, there's an Albanian business that's trying to get through to me right now. The first time they, they call, they, they got my phone number from somewhere they tried to call me at about 11 p.m. my time. I canceled the call and I said, you know, who's this um, via text? And um, I told him, look, it's, you know, literally I'm going to bed, um, but maybe we'll catch up at another time. One week later, the guy calls me at 4 a.m. And that is obviously one end of the spectrum. You're you you are at a completely other end of the spectrum. We're not talking about hard sales here before anyone really gets a, a misconception. you're You're much more about trust and relationship building. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it is because it goes back to the point I mentioned earlier that you are dealing with people um, in as much the same way as you're dealing with a, a direct client or guest that you would be building a relationship with them. You want them to trust you in order for them to purchase your product and travel with you. So connecting with a business company is exactly the same. You need to gain their trust in order for them to consider um, that partnership and building relationship takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. Um, and I certainly wouldn't be looking to go up to somebody and say, hey, work for us or come work with us. We want your product. Um, you, you've got to take your time slowly, slowly and develop, develop that relationship. Because it, for me, it's about a marathon. It's about building a foundation that will have a strong base for the future, as opposed to it being a sprint where you get the reward, but perhaps it doesn't um, hang around for long.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that my tour company is actually talking to your tour company about you being a supplier to us. And that is, like I said, we've known each other for seven, eight, nine years, whatever the number actually is. And that's a pretty slow burn. That's an example of a marathon, not a sprint, right? It's consistently day in, day out. Uh, what, once, you haven't just been adding value to the community, which is obviously a huge thing that we love working with operators who add value to the community. Every time I email you, you, you respond professionally, you respond quickly. Um, you showed up to um, a call with our team, fully prepared for the call uh, in a way that very few other operators have shown up. Because we, I'm on the other side of the desk, I can actually see how many other potential DMCs act when someone gets in touch. Ruth came, uh, w- you, sorry, Ruth I'm talking about you in the third in your third person. Ruth, you can you you came you came fully prepared to to the call. You researched our business, you had lots of ideas as to how to run a a, a great tour. You took notes during the call and you sent a summary of the call afterwards. You were the only person who has ever done that with us. Those those that set of actions. Now for Ruth, someone like you, Ruth, you probably you, this just feels obvious to you, right? But the reason I'm highlighting it is because it's clearly not that obvious. People just don't consider this. But these little touches of professionalism—if you just introduce them into every single aspect of your business—will make such a will make such a huge difference. Anyway, that's a bit of a digression that I wanted to add there because you won't find Ruth tooting her horn too to her own horn too much. So other people have to do it uh, for her. Um, so Ruth, LinkedIn. Let's 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 finish off with that one. But are there any uh, additional little tips about LinkedIn that you'd? Uh, you'd like to give people before we change topic?
0: Utilize it as you would Facebook in the sense of go on there every day, make a comment, you don't have to post every day, but when you do post, make it worthwhile. And if you're resharing a post, ensure that you add your own comments, not just to reshare but don't use it like Facebook in the sense of it's a, a social community. It is a business entity. So ensure that your thoughts and processes and how you operate on there reflect that.
1: All right, so uh, conspiracy theories about the death of the electric car, and then the revival of the electric car, for example, maybe not the place for LinkedIn. Keep that sort of shit to Facebook. Oh shit, <laughs> I just swore twice. All right, I'm gonna have to come back to the start of that, that sentence. Um. So yeah, I'll I'll I'll, st- I'll I'll take that thought again. Anyway, so effectively, um, maybe keep the maybe keep the personal rents to a minimum, and um, the the hot takes that maybe you don't only really want to share with your friends. Um, but also be social and show show a friendly, personal side of yourself. It doesn't have to be business, business promotion, promotion all day long, right?
0: Correct. Yes. Yeah. Again, it's cool. about you're building a relationship through what you post, so people are taking a call on the type of person that you may be um based on the information you're sharing and how you write your comments
1: cool and if you were to see that I was going to be attending ITB Berlin and two of our team are attending ITB Berlin you'd probably just reach out to them and say hey do you want to get a drink
0: oh well, do, do you, want you want to come
1: you? are you oh oh wow well, there you go There we go. Um, I'll make sure my team gets in touch with your team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so what a great transition. Let's talk about, uh, trade fairs. There's been a lot of chatter around trade fairs in the community. Um, some negative, some positive. I suspect that it's not just about going to the trade fair, is it? There's a lot more work to it than that to make it really effective for you. So let's dive straight in. Ruth, where should we start when it comes to trade fairs?
0: Um, trade fairs have worked for us recently. Um, but although we attended more trade fairs at the beginning of our journey and a lot of that, I guess, was about just trying to build brand awareness and get ourselves on the map, they weren't necessarily, um, cost effective in sense of getting a return on them. Um, Mm. but the trade fairs that we've attended post pandemic and a couple pre the pandemic have been about the groundwork that you do building up to the trade fair. So it's not just a case of registering to attend, it's also about the preparation and connecting with people, setting up appointments uh, before you even leave your own destination. And I think it's important to uh, look at the type of trade events that are out there and select the ones that perhaps fit your market Fit your niche if you, for us, in terms of other opportunities to attend travel shows that are focused on sustainable, responsible, and travel. Um, but you could also um, make savings by perhaps connecting with your tourism board and can you actually go along with them? So, for example, ITB Berlin this year, if we were to attend with them, um, visit Maldives, it would cost us around about $800 if I were to um, just buy the ticket online for three days and attend as a visitor, it would cost me around about a hundred euro. But by doing that, I don't get any exhibition space. So I don't have my dedicated space. I perhaps need to set myself up in a coffee shop somewhere. And for some businesses, and particularly if it's your first um, opportunity, that may be the best way to go because it then allows you to do a lot of walking around as well as having um, an area where people can come and meet you. If you have a designated area, and if you're sharing a stand with um, your tourism board, for example, then it does mean that you have double exposure because once you are registered, you would generally for the larger travel events have access to an online portal where everybody who is exhibiting together with buyers and visitors will be listed. And if you're on your destination stand, you're getting your own listing together with being listed on the destination stands listing as well. So a bit of a a double whammy that you've paid for. In terms of expenses, you also need to take into account your airfare, accommodation, general living expenses uh, while you're there. So it isn't necessarily a cheap method, but for um, a business that really does want to connect face-to-face with it's top 10 wish list or with people that they're already working with. And in the post pandemic area, there is a, a lot of um, opportunities for face-to-face meetings, just to be able to get into that habit of um, coming away from the virtual side of it and meeting people face-to-face and talking about business and how you can move forward. And in general, trade fairs are a, a great way to connect with people. So when you're standing in a queue, waiting to buy your coffee, Talk to the person in that queue because they too will be involved in travel in some format. Yes. They may not be the person that you need here and now, but they could be a contact that you can reach out to uh, further down the line. And also there are great um, learning opportunity with seminars and presentations. And so be sure to take those opportunities away where you can listen to experts and uh, perhaps take some learnings that you can put into action within your own business.
1: Wow, that's an amazing set of tips. So $500 or $800 to me sounds like an amazing investment given that you're already putting so much money into flights anyway. Um, So that people can get an idea, obviously this is going to vary a lot by year, by destination, by your niche. But when you put yourself in the Exhibitor Directory and you're available for people to make appointments with you, in general, for a major conference like ITB, how many people will actually reach out to you versus you having to reach out to them?
0: If I take WTN, for example, because then that's concrete um, numbers. So on with WTN over the three days, I had um, contacts with um, 15 Mm. of our current partners that we'd been working with. So that was the first time that I had actually met them face-to-face for a number of years because I don't travel back to the UK very often. And then I had... 20 new contacts um that i had gained over the period of time post uh, through the pandemic and then post pandemic so people that i was already connected with we were in conversation some of those that we had already progressed to building itineraries but we haven't signed anything off and for those we had just done a connection on email and uh, we would had no further discussion and then in regard to people, um, searching me out, I had 10 appointments requested, um, for other businesses, generally were smaller businesses. So, um, uh, smaller B2B travel agents or travel advisors who had seeked me out through the portal and
1: have connected. And, um, out of those 10, how did you go?
0: So out of those 10, um, I'm in contact with three of them where we have already done, um, Uh, quotations for them. So they're working on an FIT basis. So they just send quotations through on a tailor-made point of view. The others, we've exchanged information and we'll reach out again um, as I come up to ITB to connect with them. But for um, some of those, putting the Maldives into their portfolio or offering it in the the way that we offer it was uh, not quite right for them at this moment in time. But if I go back, To when we started our journey and looked at the trade fairs that I attended then I would probably only get two or three people reach out to me through the portal Mm -hmm. and there were more people at that point in time that would approach the stand and come and talk to you but far less I feel is that happens these days people come to the stand because they want to speak to you or they know you and they just want to say hi so it does really highlight the work that you need to put in beforehand. So that could be scrolling through the directory and finding the businesses that you would be interested to speak with um, and dropping them a connection and to make an appointment. It could be reaching out to your contacts on LinkedIn who you aren't engaged in business with and asking if they're attending. Um, and I do a email to um our current um, agents and businesses and just put my um, uh, calendar on there so that they can schedule a meeting with me. And it's all then there online so it doesn't have to go backwards and forwards. They can see when you're available um, and when you're not and can book it really easily.
1: Right. So uh, it seems to me like the value then of trade shows is that it condenses time Um, because rather than having conversations spread out over months and months with dozens of different people, it's all happening in a super accelerated way over the course of three days and I doubt you're closing it all in pretty much any deals on the spot, right? But you're at least you're able to significantly advance a ton of conversations in a very short amount of time and then go home and then, oh, that's the, that's a great question. You've taken away all these leads. How does someone convert those leads into a solid working relationship and, and business?
0: Okay. So I would send out a follow-up email summarizing what we talked about uh, perhaps put the pitch deck in there if i haven't shared it with them previously or put in information that was um pedantic to what we've been talking about um and then i would do that at the end of the event so on day three or um, the day after the event that's the first thing i do i make time for and um, so i connect with everybody that i have had those conversations with or i might have picked up uh, business cards, because another top tip from me would be have make time in your agenda to actually walk around the tra- travel exhibition itself, because you never know who you might see in terms of a business that you haven't um, picked up on previously, that they may be offering a product in your destination, um, or they may be offering tours in another destination, and perhaps your destination isn't on their list. So again, it's just a, an opportunity to start a conversation and introduce yourself face-to-face so once i've done that um initial follow-up email i dependent on the location where i am i tend to take some uh time out because it means i'm in europe so i get back to the uk to catch up with family and friends so i would say to people i'm back in the maldives on a particular date so they know that they're not going to hear from me um in that period of time or if they do connect with me there might be a delay in my reply And then post that, I will move it on to um, having a further virtual call with them to perhaps discuss um, more needs or to send through a proposal that then has a a feedback with. Um, But again, for me, once I've done those two, it's not about sending out email after email after email going, hello, have you forgotten about me? It is about realising that they have businesses, they operate, so they may be in the middle of um, a busy sales period or they may be finalising products for next season and you're just not going to be part of next season's um, portfolio. You're going to wait for the following season. Um, But then just periodically I will send a a follow-up and if I'm sending a follow-up, nine times out of ten, I'll always get um, a reply and we know where we're moving forward.
1: Right, and one tiny detail I just want to ask, this follow-up your email that you're sending people, I'm assuming that during the meeting you're taking a whole bunch of notes. Um, are you sending the follow-up emails to people right away? Or are you waiting? So, a in,
0: so, um, so a three-day event, I would send my follow-up emails on the day after the three-days events. Because then I just right. wrote a, a job done, it's being sent through. Um, And then the ball's in their court, because likewise, they'll have follow-up emails to do. Some people might also be troubling, but I know my email is in their inbox. Um, And yes, there are occasions perhaps where your email is further down because of all the other emails that are coming through. Um, But in my experience, um, a further follow-up email then gets the conversation going again.
1: So the people who don't have success at trade fairs, beyond what we've talked about, What are they doing wrong? My guess would be
0: that they're not doing any pre-work or they're not doing sufficient pre-work. They're not researching um, and their expectation is to um, rock up at the event, have their stand and expect people to be coming to them to say, hey, we want to work with you, which now I believe isn't the case. It doesn't work like that as a operator who has a product to sell or a service to sell, you have got to make that connection for people to be aware of you because the market out there is vast, isn't it? I know that I'm very fortunate in the Maldives in that I have very limited competition with the type of travel that we do, but I can imagine being an operator in another destination where on every street corner, there's another tour company that's doing something similar. So you have really got to do your homework to share what your USPs are and what value you can add to somebody else's business if they were to work with you.
1: USP being unique selling point, the key things that make your business different, is that right?
0: That's right. Yes.
1: Awesome. Um, it's, it's amazing how, how easy it is to slip into all those little, um, industry terms, isn't it? So, well. Hugely, hugely valuable information. I know we could talk for another 45 minutes um, and uh, maybe we'll have to do that um, on another day, but I want to come back to the start of your story. You named 10 people. You said you named 10 companies that you wanted to to work with 2023. How many of the 10 are you working with today?
0: Nine. And the one operator that we're not working with is because they don't have the Maldives in their portfolio. And at present, they don't feel that the Maldives is right for their portfolio, but still in contact with them. We connect, we share messages every once in a while. I'll ask if they're going to ITB because I'm sure that time will come when we will connect. It's all about this marathon.
1: Right. So these, um, these, uh, these, out of these 10 operators, how many would you say send, are sending their um, their product managers or at least representatives to WTM London or ITB Berlin? All of them, for sure. All of them, yeah. So if you're at a, if you're going to trade shows and no one's talking to you, it's not because the fish aren't there to bite, right?
0: It's, it's probably because they don't know about you because they won't necessarily have been on the portal and gone through everybody that's visiting because for them it's about people coming to them or connecting with destinations that they're already working with. Or they may very well be going out and connecting at a higher level with the destination um, tourism boards and so on to understand about the destination and find out who's operating there and uh, who their recommendations would be.
1: So I keep on having questions that come into my mind. So I'm gonna keep on. I'm gonna throw out a couple more bonus questions before I sign off. Have you ever had to filter out? an operator that came to you interested in doing business and why?
0: Yes. And certainly in recent years, we do that um, primarily because we want the businesses that we work with to have the same values as ourselves. So they need to have a sustainable tourism policy in place. So with the big brands, that's sort of a a no-brainer. They do have those policies in place. But where we have smaller businesses or travel agents that are connecting with us, wanting to sell our product, and we do now ask for their sustainable tourism policy, and if they don't have a sustainable tourism policy, then we won't work with them in the here and now, but we send them a couple of links that uh, link back to two websites that are focused on sustainable um, tourism and sustainable tour operators so that they can start working on a sustainable tourism policy and that ultimately for us it's about spreading that knowledge and awareness about sustainability and to other people within the tourism
1: industry. Wonderful, wonderful. Ruth, Franklin, thank you so much. If someone wants to get in touch or follow you I feel like the answer is very easy they're going to need to find you on LinkedIn is that right?
0: Indeed yes I'm there just as Ruth from Quinn.
1: Absolutely all right thank you so much Ruth.
0: You're welcome Matt it's been great to chat with you.